You're listening to The Authenticity Show, where you get to eavesdrop on great conversations about health, creativity, and the quest for excellence. Your hosts are Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. Before we get started, I'd just like to remind you to please subscribe to The Authenticity Show wherever you get your podcasts, and please find us on social media, like us on Facebook, connect with us on Instagram, you know what I mean? You can find us everywhere. Also, check out our YouTube channel, Um, and if you like the show, tell your friends about it. Post something about it on social media. We really would appreciate that. we got to get the word out. And just a word about the interstitial music that you'll hear coming up in this episode. This is a song called Slippery Elm that I wrote a few years ago for my album Dark Light. And I was very honored to have the great Ron Kobayashi sit in on keys for this one. So at a certain point, you'll hear the Fender Rhodes come in, and that's all Ron. Sounds great. Um, anyway, this episode is about leadership. It's fantastic. Carlos and Satch have many wonderful things to say. And as usual... I am completely blown away that I get to work with such incredible people. So here we go. Leadership. So, Carlos, do you prefer the flavor of tomatoes or do you like the tanginess of tomatoes? Hmm. I like tomatoes. Tomatoes? Tomatoes. Hmm. I find taters to be more greasy than than potatoes. Greasy. I I like greasy, but I don't like greasy. Yeah. Where's this going? I'm not sure. Why did I start this? Well, perhaps we need some leadership. To, uh... I think that's what it is. Oh, yeah, that's right. We're talking about leadership today, aren't we? That's right. Because the thing is, is I was aimlessly moving in any direction. And everybody knows that a leader has direction. Focus, Satch. Focus. That's right. You know, I'm an I'm a, I'm a incandescent light rather than a laser. Hmm. Hmm. Laser ship. <laughs> <laughs> Sharks with freaking laser beams. That's right. That's right. That's right. Oh, man. You know, why don't you begin? Because, you know, you started to speak before me. Wait a minute. Are you leading me to lead right now? I don't know. I just, I need something to grab onto and follow. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. You know, that's interesting because the lead can be the follow and the follow can be the lead. That's um, what you learn a lot in dancing. And you learn Mm -hmm. that in Tai Chi. That's right. And you can see that a lot in just uh, group dynamics. Yeah. Um, have you ever seen that meme? That's well, not a meme. It, it, it kind of went viral, though. Um, it was a video of a music concert that was outdoor. It was probably like, I don't know, eight to 10 years ago. The music was happening outside, and this kind of um, <clears throat> maybe slightly goofy looking guy was dancing around kind of crazy. Um, and at first, you think it's just a video about a goofy guy waving his arms around and shaking his booty at this dance. You think, like, um, you know, maybe he's high or maybe he's just got, you know, he's really feeling good about himself or whatever it is, but he's not feeling ashamed at all. And it's wonderful to see him just kind of shaking it and being who he is. After a few minutes, some other people join uh, him dancing and it kind of looks like they're there to sort of mock him a little bit. Um, not to be cruel, but just to sort of have fun and be silly with him. And after uh, the first two or three join him, all of a sudden it like, quintuples in size, like maybe more than that. Like this huge, massive crowd joins and begins dancing and it becomes this huge hill filled with people dancing like crazy. And I was talking with a colleague of mine, uh, mine in Australia about how, um, you know, this person who was doing this thing wasn't really trying to get that to happen. 
and he didn't specifically get that to happen, what happened was the people that joined the leader caused that to happen. Oh, very interesting point. So the people who are following the leader end up leading mass amounts of people. And the movement is actually started by the people who follow the leader, not the leader himself. I like that point. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I really like that point. Um, And, you know, I've seen that in other sectors of life, you know, where, um, you know, take, take a guru of some sort. It's often the guru's top students that are really recruiting people and leading and, Mm -hmm. you know, getting people to believe and, and and that sort of thing. Yeah. What is that where, um, it seems like people find a person speaking about themselves a little bit deplorable. Like I'm not interested in that, but then when someone else speaks about the other person that way, suddenly it becomes credible. Yeah. You know, um, I've thought about this a lot. This has been a theme that I've, I've noticed many times in life. Um, usually, not always, you know, but for many people, it's easier to advocate for others rather than oneself. Yeah. You know? Th- that's a commonly held idea. A lot of people say that. Yeah. I've yeah. experienced that myself. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Exactly. I, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure either. Maybe as human beings, we're genetically predisposed to um, being social creatures, right? So we need each other. We need some community. And maybe that idea of advocating for others um, has something to do with our need to be together, our need to have social networks and things like that. Maybe, maybe that's, that's one of the missing ingredients. You know? I think another aspect might be the tripwire. From an evolutionary standpoint, when we are confronted with one person, there's a lot to argue with. But when you start seeing another person following that person, you're not actually on the same channel. You're not on the channel of evaluating quite in the same way. What's happening Mm -hmm. is your sense of compliance with a group order kicks in. You see other people following that. It's a totally different channel in the brain. Now you're dealing with, oh, wait a minute, is this something about society that I need to understand? And, you know, your survival depends on being able to cooperate with society. Otherwise, you become shunned. Mm -hmm. And when you become shunned, um, naturally, uh, you'd be... Uh, having a harder time getting at resources and it'd be difficult to survive. So we probably are hardwired to follow the people who are following more so than following the actual leader itself. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah that, that seems intuitively correct. Yeah. Just as a human, I can check in with myself and go, yeah, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it's always easier when you're doing stage hypnosis if you get a few people who are high responders to respond well to what you're doing. And then, of course, um, what's happening partly is compliance. Other people are seeing that happening and they're wanting to comply with what seems to be the norm. But also, there's a part of you that's getting entrained by that because your mirror neurons are kicking in and you start to go, oh, well, that's how you do it. And, and you start to become a passive receiver of the experience. You learn that at a deeper level then of course, you can duplicate it yourself. Mm-hmm. Or let's say it's easier to duplicate. Then yeah. suddenly you get more people who are maybe mm, mid-range kind of responders suddenly responding really well. Yeah. Because they see other people doing it. So it's always really, really helpful when you have that. Yeah, yeah. This is reminding me of that wonderful um, Monty Python film, The Life of Brian. Yeah. Where he had no intention of becoming the next Messiah. The reluctant Messiah. Yeah, but he was chosen by a small group of people. And then next thing you know, it grew out of control. And he's this, he never wanted to be the Messiah, but there he was. Yeah. I'm thinking about when he gets so irritated at the crowd for following him, he pulls off his sandal and he throws it at them. You remember? Yeah. And then somebody picks up the sandal and says, it's a sign. Yeah. He wants us to 
take off our sandals and uh-huh. follow him <laughs> yeah. or whatever. I don't remember the exact thing, but it's more or less something like yeah, that. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Totally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's exactly. like, oh my yeah. God, he's like face palming, like, no, that's not what I meant. <laughs> uh-huh. Right, right, right. It's, it's so funny how that is, you know. And, and I've, I've noticed this phenomenon in things in life where um, there is a reluctant leader, Yeah, you know. And I got to say, I think there's something kind of appealing about a reluctant leader. Mm-hmm. You know, I think when somebody's a reluctant leader... Um, this is one of the things I wanted to bring up and talk about in this, this episode is um, when somebody is a reluctant leader, it almost strikes me as that person has stumbled upon their golden path. They just haven't realized it yet. Mm. <laughs> you know what mm. I mean? It's like a reluctant leader is meant to lead because others have maybe recognized something in them that they themselves have perhaps not recognized. And maybe the people around them that are following them are helping them to realize something that's in in them. Yeah. You know. And you know what else? It seems like a reluctant leader could also be someone who recognizes the inherent dangers of having everyone rely on you. Correct. And the recognition of how uh, extraordinarily complex that can be. Because you can say, oh, it's really great to be the guy in charge, but it's also a huge responsibility. Huge. Yeah. Oh, Gigantic. And so a reluctant leader would be someone who, who maybe comprehends the weight of that crown that yes. rests upon his head. You know, heavy is the head that wears the crown, right? That, that kind correct, of thing. Correct, correct. Well, you know, they um, did some interesting research on leadership in animals. Yeah, gorillas. Look, yeah, gorillas, looking, mm-hmm. at, looking at alphas. And the feces. And, uh, well, I was thinking of a, um, a study that looked at cortisol levels. Right, in the feces. In the feces. Okay, yeah, so we're yeah, talking yeah. about mm-hmm. And so, so just to you know, summarize this for people, what they found is that um, the leadership had high levels of cortisol, meaning that they were under tremendous stress. Mm-hmm. The lowest ranking people, or lowest ranking apes, <laughs> I should say. Tree right? people. But of course, it's the same as... Yeah. Hairy tree people. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It's the same for us, right? Yeah. Um, so the leader had very high stress levels as measured by their hormones. Mm-hmm. The lowest people in the society, the lowest apes, there I go again. The lowest tree people. Yeah, the lowest tree Harry people. Hairy tree people. They also had very high <laughs> levels of cortisol. <laughs> right. The people that had the, the, the least amount of stress were the people in the middle. Yeah. Right? And so you're right. You know, the... the a reluctant leader could be somebody who knows like, oh, geez, it's going to be so much work. Now, is it better than being the low man on the totem pole? Well, according to your cortisol levels, they're pretty similar. Yeah. And, and I guess it depends on your perspective of what, what's good, right? Yeah. Yeah. The, the Dutch scientist Franz de Waal um, was basically correcting people's misunderstanding. He said, you know, I came up with the term, let me, let me set you straight on this. Mm-hmm. You know, and he mm-hmm. was talking about... Um, you know, what really flies in the face of most people's understanding of what an alpha male is. You know, he's like, I came up with a term and, and you know, this whole idea of uh, the bully is absolutely not an alpha male. The guy who's out there, um, you know, slamming people up against the wall for no reason just to kind of assert himself, that's not an alpha. That's just a dickhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. That's not somebody who, who can be a good leader. Um, that's the kind of person who has to watch their back because when they close their eyes or go to sleep at night, they're not safe, right? Um, right. That's, you know, the little guy's going to get that person. Um, so they're the ones whose mission is to protect the lowest rung or the, the, the ape that's at the lowest rung on the totem pole. Their job is to protect the lowest pers- member of society, really. Um, and 
also the highest members. And it's the people who are vying for power people, the hairy tree people. Mm-hmm. So you got me going on that one, see? <laughs> I know. Uh, <laughs> see how I am? The hairy, yeah. <laughs> Sticky ideas there. Um, the hairy tree people, um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the gorillas who are uh, vying for that alpha position are the ones that are the bullies. They're the ones that are plotting and right. working together to try to uh, bully yeah. and push down the lower uh, apes and things like that. Yeah. And it's the yeah, leader, yeah. the alpha male, the, the the one who takes it upon themselves to care for every member of um, like, what do you call it? The pack, the tribe, the, the group, mm-hmm. you know, if yeah. you will, um, it's their job. And that's why they're so freaking stressed out. That's right. They're right. They're, they're playing peacekeeper. Yeah. Yeah. Now they, they may sometimes have to get rough, mm-hmm. right? But they're mostly trying to play peacekeeper. Yeah. I like to point out every mafia movie, every movie about, you know, gangsters and stuff like that. It's not the biggest, strongest, toughest guy who's the leader. Mm-hmm those big, strong, tough guys are protecting the leader. So why aren't they the leader? And that sort of proves the point, Mm -hmm. right? It's the person who has that high level of social skill. You know, that person has that emotional flexibility to to deal with everybody. And perhaps the one who has the... uh uh, the cunning and the genius to be able to link together um, all of the different uh, types of power and genius mm. to be utilized to make the group stronger. Yeah, uh, to know how to um, you know have the muscle, to have the skill, you know, to, to be able to to manipulate all those uh, different pieces, the moving parts, and play the game well. So the great you know mafia leader, I guess, would would know how to use his people, his his you know, capos or his captains, uh, and his street soldiers in a certain way mm-hmm. uh, to get get the results he wants. Yeah, for whatever yeah, malevolent yeah. purposes he has or whatever. Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, question for you. Um, what are some of your early memories of times when um, you stepped into a leadership role, even if it was small? Martial arts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, teaching teaching uh, Gong Fu. Yeah. Um, Which is how we met. Is how we met. So I remember meeting you, and in that moment, you presented to me as one of the leaders there because mm-hmm. you were a more senior ranking student and you were teaching classes. And mm-hmm. so there was that natural leadership there. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah definitely. Um, and you know, you, you you're taking a mantle. You know, you're taking something that goes along with um, that leadership role or whatever, and you have a responsibility um, to uphold whatever it is that's above you as the leader. You're, mm-hmm. There's a leader above the leader. So yeah. I had a leader above me, which was our Sifu, right? Yeah, um, right, exactly. And and I had to adhere to the principles that were even beyond him in a way. <laughs> Although, as we found out later, um, we were probably holding on to those principles a lot more uh, truly. And, uh, and sincerely than he was. Agreed. Um, we and our other uh, Kung Fu brothers um, were really, truly the ones who were doing the leading. Yeah, we and, just and didn't it was a great example yeah. of leadership styles and bad leadership styles. We can learn from our bad examples just as much as we can learn from our good examples. Correct. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Learning um, how not to be. Yeah, l- l- sometimes the best way to define something is to define what it isn't. Yeah. And that can help you get to the definition, you know, and <laughs> there, there you go. There was a lot of that there. Um, for me, uh, I have to say 
probably also martial arts. Mm-hmm. I was a little younger than you, and I, I came along a little afterwards. Um, but our same teacher also pushed me into a leadership role. Mm-hmm. And I remember at a young age um, teaching some classes, like some junior classes. And, well, first of all, it's quite an honor. But the thing that I remember from that, and you probably remember something like this as well, is that sometimes when you step into a leadership role, it can do wonders for your ability to learn and change and grow. Yeah. I became a better martial artist because I was asked to step into that role as a teacher. Yep. And it was like, oh man, I better get good at this quick. I better figure out these moves fast. You know what I mean? And and sometimes it can push you. So sometimes to go ahead and be a leader is how you become one, mm-hmm. you know? It was funny how that was because, you know, the, the few times in my life, martial arts, the second time I remember being a leader was when I was in high school and I got into drama, got into theater arts. And there was something about that experience where I realized, man, this play is going down. It's going to happen. Mm. I mean, we all have to learn our lines. I got to get up in front of real human beings, you know, not tree people, not very <laughs> tree people, and deliver a play, you know, and, and that was um, quite scary. Um, but there was a, a naturalness that went with that kind of leadership. And um, so that was the second time I really remember feeling some leadership. And so both martial arts training and, and teaching martial arts and then theater became my two templates that I was able to use later in life to continue to refine whatever leadership roles I was asked to do or Mm -hmm. fell into, you know, um, very different, but very similar. Yeah. Um, when you're in the role of directing things, you know, you don't always think of yourself as a leader, but that's definitely a leadership role. Um, you know, acting as a priest or as a, as a, as a minister doing, Mm -hmm. Uh, funerals and and weddings and things like that, um, and finding myself in a position where I had to direct the flow of events mm, yeah. and represent something for people uh, that meant something to them uh, symbolically and spiritually or whatever. Um, if you don't step into the role of directing it in a particular way, I mean, maybe it's a, a style of leadership for sure, but it's definitely leadership. Um, and if you don't do it, if you don't uh, direct things, then people just get lost. They're like, wait a minute, what? You know, I thought we were supposed to be doing something here. Then they, they snap out of whatever that experience is and they don't, yeah. they don't enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. They don't get anything yeah. um, good out of it. Yeah. So it's kind of like a responsibility at that point. And that's a, maybe sometimes uh, a slightly more uh, democratic and uh, charismatic type of leadership, mm-hmm. both. Mm-hmm. You know, when I say democratic, I don't mean that that everybody has a say per se, but but everybody can be listened to. Yeah. So that style of leadership, um, democratic style, is, is is really that you're going to incorporate people tell you. Mm-hmm. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do what they say. You're still going to call the shots because you're you're the leader. You're making the final decision. But it means you're 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 crowdsourcing. You're getting more stuff from everybody around you. Yeah. Yeah. In the yeah. charismatic stuff, um, when you're being a charismatic leader, it's more about inspiring people. You know. Yeah, right, right. Motivating them and energizing them towards a certain end. And, you know, it's worth pointing out that every head honcho, every every like CEO type leader, 
um, must have those other kinds of leaders. You know, um, you got to have what, what I learned as the socio-emotional leader, right? There's, there's, there's the decision maker. Mm-hmm. There's the guy who calls the shots. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, then there is the social-emotional leader mm-hmm. who is required to rally the troops, smooth over things, and get people to put their differences aside. And, you know, because, because the, um, the decision maker sometimes can ruffle feathers and rub people the wrong way. Definitely. And it's the socio-emotional leaders. I'm the decider. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's those other ones that are actually saying, hey, look, don't just quit. <laughs> mm-hmm. Give it a shot. Hey, how about we just try it out for a couple of weeks? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Next thing you know, the goal's getting met, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, so they're all required. They're, you know, di- different, uh, different cells in the body doing different jobs. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and, and there it is, you know. Yeah, the decision maker is also the autocratic one, you know. I'm in charge. You do as I say. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, which usually Without question. Yeah, which usually doesn't fly very well with, with other not people. in a lot of situations. I mean, um, yeah. in the military, mm-hmm. that kind of works. Yeah, um, people are trained, uh, but yeah, you're right. I mean, yeah, it can yeah, become yeah, problematic. Yeah, yeah. A dictatorship, um, but its opposite is also problematic. You know, the do as you will kind of thing, the laissez faire mm-hmm. style. Yeah, of leadership can be have its own issues. It just yeah. depends. You know. Leadership styles um, need to fit the situation. They need to fit the culture. And if the culture is not there, if it's mixed, then it needs to be uh, harvested and, in a way, shaped and created. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's a lot of um, benefit I've found to the spiral dynamics and spiral somatics mm-hmm. uh, work that I've done because that reveals a lot of the stuff that links things together and people together start to see the patterns of how um, various people are working together and why they may be feeling rejection of certain ideas or of each other mm. and certain types of people versus why they might be feeling like uh, magnetized toward one another or feeling like they're gravitating towards certain beliefs and, and feelings. Yeah. And you can visually see that mm-hmm. in body language um, when you study the spiral somatics because then you're able to enhance your ability to step in and go, this is what I need to say in this moment to transform the situation. Yeah, sure. That, that's, that's useful. And just by the way, for, for listeners, uh, if they want to hear more about that, we did a whole, uh, yeah, there's a whole episode with James Sokalos. That was one of our, our episodes. Yeah, just got uh, into some of that. Spiral somatics. something that is very simple that I think is worth sharing here for people to hear. Um, it's a really easy three division way of looking at group leadership. You have what's called the directive leader. You have the facilitative leader and you have the advisory leader. Okay. So these three levels of leadership and they're based upon what the level of the group members is. Hmm. Okay. So um, for example, if you're dealing with a group of clients that would be considered low level of functioning, meaning that their group interaction skills are low, mm-hmm. maybe because they're acutely ill, okay? Um, uh, or maybe you're dealing with, with very young children that have not developed the ability to function properly within groups of people, mm-hmm. right? Then those lower level of skilled people 
need a directive leader. They need somebody who is making decisions for the group. Okay, so that's what the directive leader is. They make the decisions for the group. The facilitative leader is somebody who is going to share responsibility for making decisions with the group members. Okay. Okay. So, so the leader is making some of the decisions and the group members are making some of the decisions. Why is that possible? Because the group members have more skill, Mm -hmm. right? They are able to make more decisions, right? But perhaps not skilled enough to handle the responsibility of making all the decisions. Okay. So you have the directive leader for lower level group members. You have the facilitative leader for moderate level individuals. And then you have the advisory style leader, which serves as a resource for the group, but the group is responsible for making all the decisions Mm. that pertain to the group, Mm -hmm. right? And the advisory style leader in that situation really is going to chime in once in a while, sort Mm -hmm. of saying, hey, you mean, are are you sure? Have we really thought this through? You know what I mean? It's just just kind of like a coach from the outside looking at They ask good questions. Yeah. and, And as somebody that the group knows they can go to if they truly need leadership, but the group members understand that they are being asked to be the leadership for the group. And I just love this, this simple three-step process. Yeah, that's, that's neat and elegant. It's, it's simple, yeah. and, and, and all of us in different situations can just look, look at the people that are involved and just go, hey, wait a minute, are these people knowledgeable or skilled in this arena that we're dealing with? Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, they're not, then if you're the leader, then you need to be a directive-style leader. Yeah. If you say, hey, they have, you know, some skills, right? Then we say, then I don't want to be the directive type of leadership. You know, I, I don't want to offer the directive type of leadership. I want to offer a facilitative style of leadership because I'm yep. facilitating their own leadership. That's, um, you know, primarily what happens, uh, you know, in our group of close friends because all of us are pretty competent, intelligent human beings. So when mm-hmm. one of us steps into a leadership position, it's usually in a, 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 uh, an advisory sort of yeah. capacity. Yeah, totally. Totally. Hey guys, what do you think about this? Don't you think we ought to do this, or you know, what? How mm-hmm. would this be like? You know, you know, it, yeah. it just sort of yeah. ends up working best that way because there doesn't need to be any more than that. Yeah, exactly. It's just to um, get the ball rolling, kind of thing. We are the group, and we know that we have um, different types of skilled individuals mm-hmm. that we can lean on if we need that kind of expertise. Yeah, it's uh, offering respect yeah. to what is there already. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, works in relationships too. With well, I say relationships. That's a broad term. Uh, romantic relationships is what I meant. With, ah, oh, yeah, could you expand on that? Well, because like, you're you're in you're in a usually when you're in a romantic relationship, it's because they're a peer. Oh, you know, yeah, and, and oh, yeah. You know, unless you're in some kind of situation that I don't need to get into right now, uh-huh. um, it's a peer. <laughs> and so there needs to be respect <laughs> for the other person's sovereignty and intelligence uh-huh. and um, experience. So if you are in a leadership position in that moment, then uh, you know an advisory type or an int- advisory style is yeah. best. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Hey, honey. Um, you know, I know you're on a special diet right now. What do you say we go to this? You know, uh-huh. health food restaurant or whatever. Blah blah blah. Yeah. You know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this reminds me um, when uh, Tanya and I were planning our wedding. Uh-huh. So this was back in the year 2000. Mm -hmm. We were planning our wedding and I had a patient, an an acupuncture client, who was a jeweler. And she had had a long career as a jeweler. Mm -hmm. So being a jeweler, she met lots of couples that were in the process of planning their weddings. So she had an entire career of experience dealing with people planning their weddings. And she gave me some great advice. 
she said, remember that each of you is going to freak out in your own way, in your own time. Yeah. Okay. It could be several times leading up to the wedding. You know, it could be at some point you're, you're, you're all both going to freak out. Yeah. It's the job of the person who freaked out last time to be the stable sane one when the next person is freaking out. I love it. That's great. And it was such yeah. good advice. And, and that's I, been, an, that's been registered and <laughs> deep in my brain right now. Yeah. No yeah. advice that's from great. a jeweler folks. Yeah. Okay. And I used it and I have shared this with so many people and many people have told me that that was really useful advice. Yeah. It's like, Hey, I remembered what you said. You know, my fiance was kind of like, you know, getting irritated and pissy and kind of freaking out a little bit about the, the stress of the situation. I remember, Hey, that was me like a week ago. Yeah. My job right now is to be stable for her or for him or whatever it is, you know, and mm. it ends up working out. It, yeah. it just, it creates that thing that we're talking about right now, which is oh, yeah. your peers, right? So you have to take turns leading. Yeah. <laughs> the cat's being a, a drummer right now. On the so cute, so cute. Chasing her tail and yeah, something. Chasing tails. Talk about you know leadership and following. Like, right. Yeah. Really. Like who's the who's, leader in that relationship? I know. I know. Really. So if the if the dog or the cat is chasing their tail, the lead is the follow. Yeah, right. I mean, the cat Perfect is, is the engine driving the motion, but yet it's the tail that is being chased. So isn't the tail in front, even though tails are by definition in the back? Well, that's, I don't know, that's maybe putting the cart before the horse, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's, I don't know. it's fascinating, the, the things we can learn from cats, you know. Um, <clears throat> cats are supremely confident. I think that's... That's why we. <laughs> it's because they're curious yeah. and they have absence of tension. Yes. Our, our, our wonderful uh, <laughs> Tina Fox posted a hilarious meme. I think it was Tina. If cats could text you back, they wouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. So, like, yeah. Everybody is a leader for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to think of leaders as having outer reasons and inner reasons, right? Some people have outer reasons, meaning like um, I'm being asked to lead. Mm-hmm. Um, or people have outer reasons like um, I need to accomplish something in this world, like I, I want to be a millionaire or whatever it might be. I need to do something significant in order to feel important on my deathbed. Right, And I would consider those outer reasons, even mm-hmm. though we could obviously argue that there are inner reasons there. Mm-hmm. And then there are more inner reasons for leadership. And when I say inner reasons, I mean that somebody has a feeling inside them like they're on the right path, that this is them, sort of their golden path, you know, to, to use that term. Talking about purpose. Purpose. That's what I'm talking about, purpose. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes you really feel that purpose. Like, I know this is w- at least one of my purposes, you know, is to do something. But sometimes we end up leading and we don't feel an inner purpose. Mm -hmm. We feel like, well, this is my job and I've been asked to take lead on this project and I hate this project. Yeah. You know, there's that kind of leadership too. You know, I just think it's interesting to bring that up, Uh that topic, because I think everybody's experienced that. Yeah. It's like altruism versus ego satisfaction maybe mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, I mean, not and, that and, and altruism doesn't have to do with your ego cause it does. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I do think that 
some people need to be leaders um, because they just want to be a leader. Mm-hmm. Because to be a leader means you're important. Yep. Significance. Yeah. Versus somebody who has that inner calling of, oh man, this is my duty right now. This is well, what I, I, I need to do for everybody. It's when you, you see know? a slot that needs to be filled rather than seeing a slot and going, oh my God, I need to be that because I need to feel good about it. Correct. It's different. Because if something needs to be done, that's about duty, that's about um, serving, that's about a bigger picture, that's mm-hmm. about making things right. Um, if you're jumping in the position because uh, you need to have it for yourself, um, there's really less uh, or no concern about the bigger picture. It's simply about making sure that you get a box checked for yourself. Correct. You know, yeah. And you know, this a reminds me- A notch on I, your belt. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I just recently watched um, that wonderful film, uh, Martin Scorsese, um, The Irishman. Yeah. Recently came out, you know, and, and it was the story of Jimmy Hoffa. And, uh, you know- who knows how much of it's you know true or how much of it's accurate, but I loved the message, or at least one of the messages in this film, where Jimmy Hoffa was this incredible leader, but near the end, it became more about him needing to be the leader rather mm-hmm. than truly what was good for the Teamsters. Right. And when the mafia people started to realize that he's not going to work with us, because he kept saying, you know, he was wonderfully played by Al Pacino. He kept yeah. saying, it's my union. Yeah. It's, it became about him. And that's kind of what right. we're talking about here. Me versus I, we. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's when leadership can take a wrong turn and lead towards trouble. Yeah. It, it can. Yeah. It's, um, you know, when you get into the, more into the we you start to think bigger, much bigger. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and in those bigger, wide open spaces of, of thought, um, you're accessing uh, you know, a higher part of your mind, you know, a more refined part of your mind. about um, leading for different reasons and maybe like some ego type leading uh, versus more like naturalistic type of leading. And uh, um, I think just kind of like some, um, some words that come to mind, I think just kind of help people sort of categorize, you know, cause maybe somebody wants to check in with themselves. Oh, I'm in a leadership role. Well, I wonder what I'm doing because whatever leadership role one is in, you can always reevaluate it and always start taking steps towards making it a little more organic, a little more inclusive and, and transform your own leadership, right? So if somebody's leading more from a place of self-importance, of ego, right, then you sort of, you know, it, it can be helpful to ask yourself, in my leadership role, am I feeling like I'm performing, like I need to perform, mm-hmm. you know, versus more the naturalistic um, leading where it would be more about serving, uh, to be the invisible hand that smooths things out, that helps people do their job that nobody else will see. You know, <laughs> so it's like it's like you know, um, do you want to be the machine or the ghost in the machine? You know, kind of a <laughs> do your work and then step away. Right, right, right. Exactly. It's very Taoist. 
it is. It is very much. Yeah. Um, Take no credit. Correct. Do it for its intrinsic value alone and let go of desire other than to serve and to fulfill your role right. and be satisfied and fulfilled by the intrinsic value of doing it. Exactly. You know, like, like for me, um, there have been many, many times I've caught myself thinking about various work situations, not just where I'm currently at, but in many places in my life, you know, and I've kind of thought, oh, this thing I have to do is a burden. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a challenge, this thing I'm going to have to do. Why was I asked to do this? Why do I have this difficulty? It's amazing how much energy that stifles. But if I ask a different question, which is, how can I serve this cause? How can I serve this situation? How can I be of benefit to the other people that are also working on this mm-hmm. so that they feel good about it? It's amazing how the feeling inside changes. And what was once a gate that was blocking my energy, mm-hmm. suddenly when I start saying that this is an opportunity for me to serve, suddenly I feel that gate open, I have more energy, and I actually start to have more optimism about it. And then the situation you know, doesn't feel as taxing or as frustrating, perhaps, as it was before. Yeah, definitely. Um, you're reminding me of the idea of, of non-striving. You know, yes. The whole idea of... of they call wu wei non-action yeah. or non-striving you yeah. know idea that you you uh well as the beatles put it let it be let it be there it is <laughs> let it be um <laughs> there's nothing you can sing that can't be sung exactly there's nothing you can do that, that can't, can't be, be done, done. <laughs> <laughs> um try less and do or be more yeah very s- similar ideas yeah um, yeah there's something to that it's, it's not easy for some people to grasp that if they've never really sought the, the meaning. You know, they just go, non-action? Ooh, wait, what do you mean? You know, but yeah. if you explore it, there's something in that there non-striving. To, to find the there way is. that is the natural way, the non-striving way, means that it has to be authentic coming from, say, a virtuous part of you. And there's some experience of achieving the goal when you do it that way that's very different. Mm than when you need to have kudos or um, yeah. handshake or slap on the back and all that good stuff, mm-hmm. uh, have your name on the plaque up in the wall or whatever. Yeah. Um, there's a difference there. There is. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, and there's a sense of ease and grace that comes along with non-striving as well because if you're looking for the place of ease and grace, it's much more likely that you'll find a way that is intrinsically more coordinated or integral maybe is a better word. Mm. Uh, like, like when we're practicing martial arts and we're looking for the easier way rather than the stupid way, you know, the stupid way yeah. is use all of your maximum physical force and that might achieve the goal. Mm-hmm. But if you train that way, you're not searching for an efficient way. It means you're not using leverage. It means you're not using sensitivity, balance, technique, timing, yeah. angles, and all the things that can be used. Right. to detect the best way possible. So the principle of non-striving really makes a ton of sense. And it's very simple in its principle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, not I, always easy to do, but... It's, it's not. It's not It's not easy to do um, until you find yourself doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and when you find yourself bizarre. doing it, that's, it's mindfulness. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In action. Um, <laughs> in action, not action. Yeah, in action. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, nature points to Wu Wei, points to this, you know, non-striving, non-doing, mm-hmm. you know, the doing without 
trying. Waterfalls you know, downhill. Yeah. Um, there are examples in nature, and um, uh, we often talk about Alan Watts. You know, and I yeah. love when he was talking about how um, when the planets are going around the sun, they're not trying to do a better job this trip around the sun. I yeah. try to get there faster than last time. Right. You know, and so it's like, because they're trying to get somewhere. Yeah. Where are they trying to get? They're just in motion, going at their speed, being natural, being their self. And they're accomplishing a lot mm. without really trying. <laughs> you know, and I think that's something that um, I admit has been a point of frustration for me in the world of... of business and and employment and all that is this constant idea to push harder and do better than last time and do more and more, 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 faster, harder, 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 better, 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 right? Well, we did it good when we're not finished. We got to do it better next time, right? I understand that. I get it. I understand that there's a certain admirable quality towards wanting to do better, Mm -hmm. right? We certainly want to learn more and do better, right? But I feel like there's too much of that that strenuous effort that's put in where it's like, you know what? We don't always have to beat last year's sales. We just need to feel and be excellent in what it is that we're doing. Yeah. We don't want to flail. Exactly. Flailing leads to failing uh, yes. more often. And, yeah. and it's a waste of energy. It is. Um, it is. And when you look at a child who makes an innocent comment and it makes the entire room light up with laughter and smiles. That's mm-hmm. a perfect example that usually that kid doesn't know why what they said was so cool and funny mm-hmm. or cute or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it's usually because we're recognizing the simplicity and the authenticity and the potency of what was just said. Yeah. And what you're talking about is good to discuss because there's some nuanced understanding in that flow states are not necessarily the states that you need to be in all the time because you can't really, it's not really a learning state per se. Mm. It's a performing state. Yeah. Right. Right. And so that non-striving is something that is an ideal that has to be in there. Um, and hard work can be tempered with the idea of non-striving. It's not that hard work is a bad thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. But tempered with the idea of non-striving, then you find, let's say, a happier balance, a more harmonious balance where uh, you might find a more efficient way to do what you do. It's like, well, l- let's go back to another example of, you know, besides Tai Chi, let's go uh, practicing yoga asana, right? Postures. Mm, mm-hmm. You're not supposed to be straining. You know, you're doing pranayama, you're doing breathing exercises. Right. You're not supposed to strain. Yeah. If you are striving and straining in that, uh-huh. um, you're probably going to either hurt yourself or at least if nothing else, you, you won't progress the way you ought to, the way you could, Yeah. if nothing else. And, and yet, if you do follow that 70% rule that we've mm-hmm. talked about sometimes where, mm-hmm. you know, go to 70% of your capacity mm-hmm. and you do that regularly, that 70%, the total number of, let's say, whatever that is that you're doing is going to be increased over yes. time. Yes. So what is 70% for you at week one? is much less than what 70% of your capacity is at week eight. Mm-hmm. Correct. But because you're yeah. not going all yeah. the way to 100%, you're reserving that 30%, then um, you're making a gradual increase all the time, and, and your, your net increase over time is incredible. And you don't exhaust yourself, yeah. you don't imbalance yourself, and you're not spending all that energy recovering 
because you did 100% all the time. Yeah, yeah. And that's right, how you burn right. the candle at both ends and end up with a stroke or heart attack or yeah. being obese or you know sick or whatever it is that happens. Um, what you just described, I think, could be easily understood if we think of it as money instead of striving or energy. Yeah. Everybody understands that you don't just get your money and then try to spend it all as much as you can every time you get your money. Yeah. Right? You're like, no, you you spend what you need. Or save all of it. You save some of it, right? (laughs) Same (laughs) thing. It's like, yeah, yeah. Of of course, yeah, we don't want to be the person that never, ever spends a penny and, and... and dies with with a bajillion dollars in the bank, right? Because you also want to live your life, right? Yeah. So you can spend your money, but you don't blow your whole paycheck, yeah. you know, Friday night. You know what I mean? So there, there, there are examples where we can clearly see the wisdom in what you're describing. Yes, and, it, and if you have no skill at something, it's always going to seem much harder for you, and it's always going to be much harder work doing the same thing that someone who has skill yeah. is doing. So when it comes to business, if you're trying to be good at business and you just don't try at all and say, look, I'm doing great, I'm non-striving, well, no, um, you're actually just not applying yourself. You still need to apply yourself right, to get yeah. better at it. Yeah. And that's that's where I think the confusion comes in with um, with this concept is that, oh, it is not lazy. Wu right. Wei is not lazy. It's easy to misunderstand something from, a, from another culture yes. if we don't really get good context yeah. and examples for it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you know I, I've, I've um, heard some people criticize like monks, like meditators as how selfish to just go yeah. sit in your cave and just sit there and meditate and, and not go out and participate in the world and do right. all that. And it's like, right. um, cause they sort of look at that as, as, as a cop out. It's like, mm-hmm. it's really hard to sit there and be still. It's really hard. It's real hard yeah. <laughs> to sit there yeah. and be still and 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 Shit dedicate yourself to that, yeah, right? Um, sure. Oh, that's awfully hard. Yep. We might even just for fun make the opposite opposite argument. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, okay, well then to choose not to meditate and to go work in the world—that's the cop out. Yeah. Now look, I'm not meditating in a cave. You're okay, avoiding so, you know. <laughs> looking at yourself. So what are you avoiding? Yes. Inside yourself. Exactly. So, you know, we can look at these things with some flexibility. Definitely. You know? Which is um, a good trait to have as a leader, by the way. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's right. That's Leaders right. must be flexible. Yeah. That's always the last word. Great leaders understand that um, they are not experts at everything. Great leaders understand that they need to rely on the leadership of some of the people that are actually following them, right? Great leaders are wonderful followers, for sure. I'm, uh, this isn't my idea. I didn't, yeah. I didn't make this up, but you know, great leaders know how to be great followers yes. you know, when the time comes. Um, and sometimes the best thing a leader could do is go ahead and follow. Uh, something I've shared a couple times, probably on some other episodes, is um, 
This concept we use in uh, acupuncture theory, in Chinese medicine theory, which, you know, in Chinese medicine, we have the five elements. I've talked about this a lot. Yeah. Where each element is generating another element, right? So if wood wood catches on fire and generates fire. So wood is, is the mother of fire. Mm-hmm. Fire turns into ash, which is earth. So fire is the mother of earth. Uh, within the earth, we find metals, right? Gold and metals and things like that. So earth is the mother of metal. Metal creates condensation, which captures the moisture in the air. Mm -hmm. So metal is the mother of water and then water nourishes wood and you come back full circle, right? So, so trees and plant life are being nourished by water. And so each one of those phases, one of those elements or phases is generating another one. Okay. And so in Chinese, that's called sheng. Okay, sheng means to like give birth to something, to generate something, to promote something. Uh Okay, so um, the sheng cycle is the one I just went through. Fire creates earth, earth creates metal, metal creates water, water creates wood, wood creates fire, and so on. Okay? But then there's also the controlling cycle where fire can melt metal. Metal can chop wood. Wood, like think of... of, um, earth being dominated by roots and trees and bushes, right? So, so wood can dominate earth, right? Earth controls the course of rivers and streams and things like that. So earth controls water. So everything is generated by something and everything is controlled by something, Mm -hmm. right? And it's a closed system. Okay. So here's where the wisdom comes in of what we're talking about. Okay. Here's why I brought this up. So they have this, this beautiful saying, in, in Chinese medicine, and it goes like this. Uh, and what that means is, um, so, so wo means me, okay? So wo sheng, sheng wo, that means I give birth to something, I create something, but something created me, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, I create stuff. I'm a big CEO. I'm a boss man. I built 10 businesses. I created something. But I got to remember, something also created me. Yeah. Right, I had favors along the way. I had mentors along the way. My my parents made me. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is, we were all created, even though we create. Yeah. So wo sheng sheng wo. That's what that means. Okay. And then wo ke ke wo. So uh, ke is the word for like to check, to control. To say metal ke wood would be like metal controls or checks wood. Okay. So wo sheng sheng wo wo ke ke wo. Um, I control something but something controls me and there's no way out of this system. Yeah. I give birth to something yet. Something gave birth to me. I control something, but something controls me and it's a natural law. Mm-hmm. If, if you exist in this world, these laws apply to you no matter who you are. Right. Just ask Jimmy Hoffa. Right. Yeah. <laughs> this comes back full circle to this idea that, um, a great leader is also a great follower right? Yeah. The leader generates something, but is generated by all of the people that he's leading, right? Um, the leader can control things, but there are plenty of things that control the leader, you know? And uh, what I like about this concept is it allows every person to simultaneously be strong and vulnerable, which you have to do. Yeah. You cannot be strong without acknowledging your vulnerabilities because to not acknowledge one's vulnerabilities is a tremendous weakness. It's a foolish weakness. I was you know? just talking about this today. Were you really? Yep. 
Oh. Uh, vulnerability is strength. It is. Yeah. A person automatically trusts a person who's vulnerable with them because they feel like that person has trusted them first. When you go there first, you bring people there with you. Vulnerability, when it's authentic vulnerability, teaches you something. It teaches you, one, uh, that you're going to be just fine. Mm. The fear of not opening up is the fear that something bad will happen, right? Yeah. Um, if I share this, if I show myself, bad things will happen to me. Ultimately, that's what that's what, yeah. the, what it boils down to. Yeah. But when you are vulnerable and you see and experience what happens from being vulnerable and how you didn't die, nothing bad really happened. Mm. Or even if when, when the response was a negative one, mm-hmm. that you were just fine, you were actually okay. Yeah. The learning at the end of that is inherent. You realize, well, shit, it didn't kill me. Mm-hmm. I'm much more resilient than I thought I was. Yeah. Like that happens that. repeatedly. Yeah. You start to recognize how resilient you've mm. become. Oh, I like that. So that's, yeah. you know, I think a, a leader has to at least have the capacity for being vulnerable in the right ways, in the right times, in the right context, right? Totally. Um, when you were speaking before about being a good follower and surrounding yourself with people, mm. um, it reminded me of this idea that a leader who is unchallenged for long enough and is unchecked for long enough, mm-hmm. might have even been a good leader for a while, will sooner or later become a very bad leader yeah. if they surround themselves with an echo chamber. If they don't Agreed. enrich yes. their experience, their egos become imbalanced and it creates um, changes in their persona. It creates changes in their psyche, probably creates changes in their brain over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Not that you have to seek out, um, you know, the polarity responder on purpose all the time, but mm-hmm. it, you need to enrich your experience with lots of people and even people don't agree with you so that you can develop your ability to um, have your leadership meet the needs of all people yeah, and all types. Uh, we see a lot of the echo chamber thing with social media and how problematic that can actually be over yeah. time. Yeah. Maybe in the short run, it feels good because you're not getting challenged. And I'm not saying that there's some magic to just being challenged by itself. Mm-hmm. You know, people have shitty ideas that, you know, just having shitty ideas around you doesn't make you awesome. But right. if you're yeah. in a position where you have a lot of good ideas and you're leading and you're, you're, you're a mover and a shaker and you're getting a lot of things done, at some point you're going to amass wealth and power and authority and you're going to actually make some changes. And when that happens and it goes unchecked for a long time, uh, good things may happen for a while. But you got to make sure you continue to enrich yourself with new information, new ideas, mm-hmm. new people, even people who don't necessarily agree with you. And hopefully you share, have shared values Yeah. so that it's not just somebody who's trying to throw a monkey wrench. That's mm-hmm. not helpful. Right. But someone who right. doesn't want to throw, throw a monkey wrench at all, they actually want you to succeed, but they just have a different opinion and they're willing to voice it and it's safe to voice it. Yeah, yeah. If it's not safe to voice it, then you've created a, an unhealthy leadership environment. Yeah. And a person like that will ultimately fail. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I I like what you just said. You yeah. know, um, the um, the idea of having a bunch of bunch of yes men around you, yeah, is never a good thing. It's yep. very very dangerous. Yeah, it's very very. It's the emperor's new clothes. It is, yeah. um, kind of a neat chapter in the Tao Te Ching, chapter number sixty eight. I just thought I'd read it. Oh um, yeah, love it. Here we go. 
Now this is a this is a modern translation, so there's different versions of this. Of course, yeah. uh, they they translate uh, soldier as um, athlete. Oh, nice. And I kind of like it because they, they they use the term athlete, opponent, businessman, uh, leader, things like that, mm. instead of just soldier. In the, in the original translation, it's like soldier. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. But I kind of like this because it, it brings it more to the modern, uh, broad use. Cool. Um, The best athlete wants his opponent at his best. The best general enters the mind of his enemy. The best businessman serves the communal good. The best leader follows the will of the people. All of them embody the virtue of non-competition. Not that they don't love to compete, but they do it in the spirit of play. In this, they are like children and in harmony with the Tao. I like that idea. Oh, I love that. That's perfect. Yeah. It's very modern. Play. Play. We learned so much from play. Play. Yeah. Yeah. So I would hope that in the pursuit of just being a better leader, that there's a playfulness and a spirit of playfulness inside of um, everything that happens because we get so serious as adults Yeah. and we we look sometimes at uh, the outward form of things and forget how important it is to adjust ourselves in the inside. So a true leader is mm. got to be someone who looks inside as well and really asks themselves, am I doing the things inside myself that will make this leadership easy and effortless, non-striving? Mm. So if I don't have my shit in order and I'm barking orders externally, have we ever seen that go well? Mm. You know, Think of world leaders that we may be aware of that haven't really managed their own emotions. They haven't managed their own lives. They haven't uh, really become virtuous human beings. And yeah. yet they're really comfortable telling pe- other people what to do. Yeah. And we've seen that in our upbringing as well. Oh, definitely. Uh, we've seen that, you know, in teachers and things like that where Correct. Yeah. they're really not managing themselves. They're, they're not, they don't have orderly homes. They don't have orderly minds. They're not, um, uh, developing correct intention and right thinking, mm-hmm. and yet they're wanting to develop more and more power. And they're yeah. kind of achieving a certain level of power. But having power over others is not the same thing as being empowered. Because when you are empowered, yes. Yes. your locus of control is intrinsic and you are recognizing your responsibility rather than trying to make it everyone else's fault and um, you know living at the effect and all that stuff. So yeah. anyway, kind of, I think it all kind of links back to you know, having true authority is much more powerful than uh, developing tools for persuasion. And I, and I, this really drove home even more from some of my recent studies that we raise ourselves by lifting others up. Yeah, I love that. It's such a harmonious way of thinking about mm. leading. That feels really good inside. Doesn't it? To, to, to... When you're learning really potent stuff yeah. about persuasion and you realize that 90% of being persuasive is actually being a better human being. Yeah. Just like oh, stop trying to find magic words and, and you know, schmarmy little hypnotic, mm. you know, double entendres that try to trick someone's unconscious mind into something. Just be a fucking magnetic, amazing, charismatic, good person. Yeah. And people will want to change for you. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. 
yeah. way better. <laughs> just just be the person that your dog loves. Exactly. Be the person that your dog loves. Well put. Yeah, exactly That's it, right. you know? Oh, man. That's, That's great. That was well said. Yeah. That was well said, Carlos. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks, Satch. Yeah. Beautiful. All right. I'd like to make an executive decision and uh, call this one done. And I will follow that decision. I second that motion. Excellent. <laughs> You've been listening to The Authenticity Show with your hosts, Carlos Casados and Satch Purcell. My name is Oliver Altine. I record, edit, and produce the show. I also wrote our theme song, which you're listening to right now. Please remember to subscribe to the show. Find us on the socials. Drop us a line. We'd love to hear from you. And you can check out our website at authenticityshow.com. Thanks for listening and have an authentic day.